Uh, before we hop into this, I do want to just mention, I know that there's a, a lot of stories in our congregation and a lot of hard things that uh, some people are facing, and there were a lot of things that were worth celebrating over the last bit of time. Uh, but, but Steph Thompson uh, is uh, part of our Sojourn family, and uh, she had a, a procedure. Uh, that she went to uh, Minnesota for, and um, she is uh, she had she had a little bit of complication with with her procedure, and uh, she she is uh, stable as far as we know. And Heidi, uh, her her mom and dad. Uh, if, if you know them, if, would you please keep them keep them in prayer? And if you don't know them, you can pray in general. Uh, Steph has had a long uh, health journey, and uh, we just she has uh, taught all of us uh, so much about what it looks like to trust God um, through through all all your your, uh, your, your through, with your whole story. And uh, it's a, an incredible uh, testimony of, of her trust in in, in God. Um, but she is in a uh, rough rough spot here, so uh, it's uh, interesting spend Christmas week uh, in the hospital and going through some procedures. Uh, and so if you think of it, keep Steph and uh, Trevin and her parents, Perry and Heidi, uh, in, in your prayers. Uh, okay, so this passage, Galatians chapter 6, um, it is the end of a letter that Paul wrote to church. Uh, am I cutting in and out a lot? <clears throat> um, this is the end of a letter that Paul wrote to a, a, a church in uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, a local church. It was in a, actually in a region called Galatia. And so that if you look in your Bible, the, t the title of this is called the Galatians because he wrote it to the church of Galatia. And uh, he, he says in, uh, a bunch of incredible things over the course of these six chapters. Um, and, and as he comes to an end, so he, he's landing the plane in this letter at the end of chapter six. And over the course of these verses, uh, what he's inviting the con this congregation, this church to do is to consider some, some ideas uh, in his, as, he, as he's going, as he's ending, as he's, as he's finishing this communication. Some of what he does is recaps the letter. And we're not going to spend a lot of time trying to do that because uh, we, don't, we don't have the, the, all the context for that. Uh, but there's a couple ideas that I think might be helpful for us. And I, I chose it because we have church on December 31st. Uh, this is the last day of the year. Uh, and this doesn't happen very often. Uh, in, in fact, it'll only happen one time in like the next 10 years. Um, and so uh, we're, we're glad to be here. We're glad to do it. And we'll see uh, what God has for us uh, in, in this passage. So first, um, material seeds. Let me start with verse 7 instead of verse 6. This is what Paul says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. When Paul says that God will not be mocked, um, I, I could imagine some image going through your mind that would somehow think that God is like getting mad. And it's like, how dare you? And then like, you know, lightning bolts striking people. Um, I, I think that what Paul is, is saying is not, suge he's not suggesting that God is going to blow up or lash out. Uh, what he seems to be saying is that life is a lot like farming. And this is the life and this is the world that God designed. The, the seeds that you choose to put in the ground will produce the fruit of that very seed. So just an example would be apple seeds produce apple trees which produce apples. That's the way that God made the world. That's how the world works. And what Paul is suggesting in these closing verses to this, the, to this local church is that there's a way in which the world works. 
And that's how it works. And so if you're going to plant other kinds of seeds, then don't expect to get apples. It's, it's, it, God's, God's not going to be mocked in the sense that it's going to work out that way. It's how God designed the world to work. Now, no, number of phrases here in verses 6 through 10 um, are actually, in, uh, they're actually talking about money. Now, now, Paul never says the word money, but if you look at verse 6, the first verse of this text, he says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And what Paul is suggesting there is the idea of funding the work of teaching the Bible. So those who receive the teaching of the Bible should be participating in making sure that the Bible is taught, funding the work of teaching the Bible. A uh, number of biblical scholars point out that in verses 9 and 10, Paul uses the word or the phrase, do good. And they point out that in the first century, that phrase of doing good to another would have an inherent financial component. That if you were going to do good to someone else in the first century, that would mean that there was resources that you put, you had skin in the game, you got involved to help them. Um, Paul's saying, don't get worn out in giving. When he says in verse 9 and verse 10, don't get worn out in doing good. He's saying, don't get worn out in putting skin in the game, in giving. Be generous. Be generous towards all, especially to the household of faith. So again, he's pointing to the work of teaching God's word. That is good seed. And so he's indicating here that there's this way in which the people of God get skin in the game to ensure that the word of God is taught, that it's proclaimed, that ministry is done. And he says, don't get worn out in doing it. Don't, don't get tired of doing it. Be generous towards all people. And in verse 10, he says, especially towards the household of faith. So yes, be generous with your resources with all people. If you see someone in need, be generous with your resources, especially to the household of faith. So as you plant that seed, you will reap a harvest. God's word, why, why is that true? Because God's word does not return void. Now, if you've watched Christian television at all, you know, you've seen a lot of charlatans on, on, on the television who what they say is you plant a seed of, let's say, $100, and God's going to return that seed of $100 with $1,000, right? It's, it's you put money in and you get money back. That, that is not what Paul is suggesting. Paul is saying that as we get invested in the work of God, in the teaching of the word, in the proclamation of the gospel, as we get involved in that, God's word does not that, that your heart gets formed, that your heart gets made new. Maybe a way to say it is this. When you partner with your church, whether it's Sojourn or any other uh, church that's committed to the, the book of all books, you are enabling the gospel to not just more effectively permeate our city, you're enabling the gospel to more effectively permeate you. And so Paul says this is, this is good investment. Gospel investment is a good investment. When you put skin in the game to ensure that the word is proclaimed, that, that is a good investment because God's word does not return void. It impacts, it changes people. It brings the life of God to the hearts of humans. Gospel investment is a good investment. So I want to take a minute. Uh, one of the things that our church, uh, that I personally don't do a great job of, is, is we don't do a great job of celebrating uh, our, our wins. 
And, um, and I, I want to take a moment here and just talk a little bit about how you as a church family have uh, invested, how you have gotten skin in the game uh, to, to fund this gospel work, th this, this church. Uh, over the course of 2023, uh, we have, uh, they're, they're, kind of, they're kind of one fund, but they break into two parts, our Mercy Fund and our Benevolence Fund. And uh, over the course of this year, in the ballpark of $50,000 has been given by you as a congregation just to those funds. And those funds are the resources that we use to help people in all kinds of situations. And at our annual meeting, we'll share some of those generalities. We don't share names or enough detail to where you could associate it with an individual. Um, but your generosity on those, with those mercy funds uh, enables us as a church to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus to people who are in really difficult situations. And that $50,000 does not count all of the informal ways that you as a church family have encouraged each other. And I've, I've been part of hearing the stories and seeing some of these things unfold where just individual people or individual groups in our church have heard about another need and they send out a text to their community group and say, hey, what do you think about doing something about this? And uh, the story I hear all the time is like, it's like, man, God, like God provides every dollar that those groups are looking to raise to help individual situations. And so that is something uh, that is worth celebrating. Uh, we do a Holy Week offering. We call it our Mercy Offering. And uh, in, in, in Holy Week of 2023, that offering surpassed $40,000 just, just in that uh, window, that week of, of giving. Uh, and then we have additional funds that some give throughout the year. And it helps us do good to everyone, especially to the household of faith. So thank you for your generosity. Uh, thank you for being part of that. And I would encourage you to not grow weary in doing good. To, to have a heart for this, this um, opportunity that we have to, to, help, to help people uh, in need. That, that's our mercy giving. Our, our 2023 general fund, today is the last day of the year. As of right now, our, our general fund giving sits at $737,000 plus whatever comes in today. Now, some of you who are, have good memories or numbers are just your thing, uh, maybe you're already realizing what, what that number means. Um, but if you're part of our church family, then um, on Wednesday, December 13th, uh, and I sent out an email uh, to our church family. We had had some questions about where we at with giving, how do things look with year-end giving, th those kinds of questions. And so I just put a quick email together and we sent it out uh, on uh, Wednesday, December 13th. And in that email, I, I uh, said to you as a congregation, hey, we're drawn to the end of the year. Uh, this is not word for word. I'm just, uh, you know, we're drawn to the end of the year. Some of you have asked about giving. Uh, we are $103,000 away from having our best giving year ever. Um, that is so arbitrary, like who really cares about that? But that's, that's a data point if, if, it, if it helps. And I think I said something like, if you want to help us end the year strong or you want to just, um, you want to help us reach for that 103, uh, you can give in the giving boxes on Sunday or you can give uh, online. And I gave the link to our giving portal. Uh, that was December 13th. Um, since December 13th, we have had $139,000 come in uh, to our general fund. And uh, yeah, that's worth clapping about. <clears throat> So that was, uh, I think in the email, I said, we have 18 days to go. Well, in 17 days, what, you know, 139,000 uh, uh, came in. And so I want to I just, I want to celebrate 
your demonstration of God's generosity. Uh, I, we, you know, our, our hearts were overwhelmed and thankful about how God uh, provided those, those resources. Uh, that sets us up in a, in a beautiful way to come into 2024, just in a, in a strong position with opportunities that we uh, have been dreaming about and want to keep dreaming about. Um, we recognize that dollars are just tools. They are, it, money is just a resource. Uh, you know, I, I remind myself all the time that that psalm that maybe some of you have heard before that, that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Um, if that's true, and it is, then money is ne it's never actually a resource problem. It's, it's a distribution problem. The question isn't, does God have the money to help Sojourn pursue its mission? The question is, does God see fit to, to, to send the money, to distribute the money uh, to, to Sojourn to help us do our mission? And so um, I just, I want to thank you and I want to thank God uh, for uh, just a really fun uh, couple weeks for us as a staff uh, and our elders to see, to see these funds coming in. Uh, one little side note, um, you know, if, if you spread it out, and didn't do it all in 17 days. It would actually help us a little bit as a church um, to, to plan. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good to be generous. It's also good to be a regular giver. And so if you aren't a regular giver, somebody who's like, you know, my, my family, we give once a month. And so our, our, we, have, we, we did the auto giving um, through our website. We can always give more in the giving boxes, but we have a rhythm and a commitment as a family. And it just, it comes out one time a month. And that helps us keep our bare, our bare minimum commitment through that. Um, and uh, and it's just that, that regularity does help us as a church plan. But that doesn't change the fact that we thank you and we celebrate uh, your generosity that's been on display uh, over these last, last couple weeks. Um, we already have had our largest December that we've ever had. Uh, this makes it our largest uh, year, giving year that we've ever had. And so uh, thank you for your partnership, especially as we head into a, an exciting uh, season. And, and maybe just a couple comments on that. Um, we, we do have some questions in front of us as, as a church family. And uh, if you've been here for a number of years, it might be a little annoying because some of these questions have been facing us for years. Um, things like uh, our facility and our seating capacity and our parking lot um, and our kids ministry. Um, things that are a little bit more exciting. Um, you know, our, our mercy ministry took a huge hit uh, during all the disruption of COVID. And it feels like in 2023, it's the first time we've kind of gotten our feet uh, moving again in regard to the mercy ministries that we really value in our, in our city. And so we're eager to see those our community groups, uh, we came into 2023 with our community groups in, in a good place. And we came into a year with our community groups in a good place for the first time in a long time. And uh, that was due to a lot of hard work by Barb Jordan uh, in the fall, uh, summer and fall of 2022, getting our community groups in a place where they were ready to thrive in 2023. And for those of you that are part of a community group, I, I know that you would, uh, uh, would, would, would agree with that and would celebrate that. Uh, many of you aren't, aren't in a CG and a community group. And I would encourage you, as you look at 2024, uh, to do that. Uh, we, we have work to do in our community groups. We want to keep improving them and resourcing our community group leaders better. Um, but that is a space that is worth its weight in gold. And uh, honestly, there, there's a, uh, in, my, in my opinion, there's a little bit of a shelf life at Sojourn. If you don't get involved in a community group, uh, it is hard to stay connected here. Uh, Sunday mornings, we love them. 
We invest a lot of time and effort into Sunday mornings, but Sunday mornings are not sufficient. They are not sufficient. And if we have ever given you the impression that Sunday mornings are sufficient, uh, we, have, we have failed you. If you believe that Sunday mornings are sufficient, um, you, I, I would encourage you to reconsider that. Uh, you, our walk with Jesus, we, we need more than just a monologue. We need more than just corporate worship, as important as this is. You need people who know you and who love you, who look you in the eyes and know when you're missing. Uh, th these are the relationships that, that God has offered to his people and I want to encourage you to, to pursue that. Um, and then last thing, I would just say, you know, the ongoing questions of what does it look like to minister in a world that is ever-changing? And sometimes it feels like it's changing so fast. So, so these are the things that as we come into 2024, we are trying to ask questions about. And, uh, and your financial partnership uh, provides opportunities for us to, to pursue some of those dreams. So thank you. Um, th these things are, you know, exciting challenges, but they're still challenges. So thank you for your partnership. Uh, gospel investment is a good investment. So that's the material seeds where Paul says, man, um, fund, fund the work of the gospel. F fund the work of the, of the teaching of God's word and don't grow tired in doing it. But there's another aspect. And I, maybe you could call that the immaterial seeds that, that Paul seems to maybe be hinting at as well. Throughout this letter to this church, Paul has been painting a picture of the good life from God's perspective. In some ways, it's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you could read through these six chapters of Galatians, and there's some similarities with what Jesus said in Matthew 5 through 7, which as a church we've been walking through over the last couple months. Uh, Paul seems to be suggesting that the universe has a grain to it. That's a little bit of that idea of, of you know, God, God will not be mocked. There, there's a sense in which the world is, is designed a certain way. Uh, theologians like to use the phrase, the grain of the universe, kind of like a piece of wood that you can, you can work with the grain or you can go against the grain. But Paul is saying there is, there's a moral grain to, to the world that God has designed, that God has given. And the invitation is for us to, to move in the world in, in line with the grain, along with the grain. There's a way of moving in the world that makes sense, that's good. And there's a way of moving in the world that doesn't make sense, that's not good from God's perspective. And, and Paul is trying to raise the, uh, our attention, to get our attention on these, on these issues. In verses 7 and 8, uh, Paul is telling us that you do get to pick. So, so there's a grain to the universe. There's a moral grain to the universe. But you do get to pick. You're not forced to go along with this design that God has. You actually can choose what kind of seeds you're going to, see, you're going to plant. You can accept God's direction and sow good seeds. Or you can reject God's direction and sow the seeds you want. But Paul says, if you take option two, that does bring with it natural and negative consequences. Now, we, we, do, we do live in a broken world, and so we probably all have stories of where the bad guy gets away with something, where a coworker lied about something that happened at work, and they end up getting the promotion and getting the raise, and you're sitting there saying, wait, what are you, that guy's a liar. That's not true. He deceived his way to the top. Okay, that, that happens. The, the world is infected with sin, no doubt about it. And Satan loves to whisper uh, those, those stories to us. But God is saying that the consequences are not just measured in the here and now. That the seeds that we plant in this life, the consequences are not just what happened today 
or what happened in 2023 or what will happen in 2024, that they're measured by a bigger scale, the scale of eternity. You see, God in his grace is inviting you. He's warning you. He is pleading with you to plant better seeds. Look at verse 8. Uh, in, in, in chapter 6, verse 8, he says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You know, Paul, Paul is reflecting on something that he just talked about in chapter 5. It's very, very similar. He, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and he talks about the fruit of the flesh. And what he suggests is this, that the Spirit of God... The, the spirit of God produces God fruit and the spirit of you produces you fruit and you fruit doesn't taste as good as you think you fruit was going to taste. And Paul is inviting us into a better way of living, into a, a God directed, God designed way of living where we actually move with God's moral grain, where we recognize that there's a way in which God intends for his people to move in the world. Think about 2023 for a minute. What, what seeds have you planted? Over the course of these last 12 months, what, what are the seeds that you've planted? What are the seeds that you have nurtured? My, my guess is that you probably have some things over the course of these last 12 months that you would like to celebrate. Seeds that you would look at and say, yeah, those, those are things that I'm really glad I spent my resources and my energy on. And then there's probably some things that you know you should change. Now think about 2024. Have you spent any time thinking about what kinds of seeds you want to plant in the next 12 months? You know, as I'm, I'm 47. You know, as, we, as we get older, the years do go faster. I know it's cliche and everybody tells it to you, but then you actually start to live and you're like, oh my word, it really is faster. Um, we're going to blink and it's going to be December of 2024. What, what, what are the seeds that you want to plant in the next 12 months? What are, what are the things that you want to nurture, that you want to see uh, grow and prosper in your life? Paul's saying you do get to pick. You really do get to pick. You can pick the good seeds that God has laid out for us, or you can pick the seeds of yourself, of selfishness that, that actually bring corruption. You do get to pick. And God is saying, pick wisely, pick, pick better seeds to put in the ground. What are you going to do with your time and your focus and your energy? What do you want the evaluation of 2024 to be 12 months from right now? Well, look at what Paul says in verse 9. He says, don't give up on doing good. And in verse 10, he says, don't give up on doing good to each other, to the house, especially to the household of faith. So, so if you think about this and you're looking at 2023 and you're like, yeah, I tried some of that stuff. I tried the good seeds. I tried to, to be honest at work. I, I tried to be faithful to my spouse. I tried to be kind to my neighbor. And you know what? Half of that stuff didn't work out at all. I didn't see any fruit. I didn't see anything work out from that. I didn't see anything come from that. Paul's response to you would be, don't grow weary in doing good. Because the evaluation, the consequences of the seeds that we plant are not just in the here and now. Paul, you know, why does Paul say don't give up? Why does he say don't wear out in doing good? Two reasons. Number one, doing good is usually slow. 
Paul is using gardening language, farming language. So just like a plant, it takes time. And we're in a culture that loves fast. And we love big and we love flashy. You know, we love organizations that can come to us and say, we planted 10,000 churches last year. And it's like, whoa, 10,000 church, that must be incredible. And then you hear someone else say, we've planted one church in the last two years. And you're like, what's wrong with them? Well, the, the question would be, what, what is the sustainability of these things? Is the one church that was planted over the last two years alive and, and is sustainable and moving towards you know, self-sustaining self, uh, uh, self work? Are those 10,000 churches, how many of them exist 12 months later? How many of them exist three years later? Yeah, it, it, and I'm not condemning any of those models. I'm saying we're drawn to the flashy. We're drawn to the big. But often doing good is slow. That's first. Second, our world puts a lot of other priorities in front of us. When Paul says, don't give up, don't wear out in doing good, he's aware of the fact that the world's offering a lot of other options. You know, there's an illustration that I ran into years ago, and this is how it goes. Our, our, our world is like a store, and thieves broke into it in the middle of the night. But the thieves broke into the store, and they didn't steal anything. Is All they did was they took the price tags of the most expensive items, and they put the cheapest price tags on them. And then they went to the items that were the cheapest, and they put the most expensive price tags on them. And most of us are not quite aware yet that we've been hoodwinked. That the things that we think are the best things, the most important things, the most expensive things, are actually the cheapest things. They're the worthless things. And the things that matter the most, we ignore them. We think that they don't matter much. And God is inviting us to realize that the, that the world can be distorted on that front. That the most important things, the most, the most valuable things are the things that he's putting on the table for us to pursue, for us to consider. Let me offer three for the year 2024, for just for the Sojourn family, for you to consider. First, a little bit of scripture to a little bit of life. A little bit of scripture to a little bit of life. These are all kind of catchphrases that we have benefited from over the years. Um, your spiritual life does not work if you eat only once a week or only once or twice a month. That, that is not a healthy spiritual life. To, to just come one or two Sundays a year and to think that somehow that is going to be enough to nurture your soul, to feed your soul. No, you, you need to be in God's word. You need to be with God's people on a regular basis so that this word, the, the, the scriptures, you're getting a little bit of it on a regular basis, just like normal food. You're getting something that you can chew up and that you can digest. You know, a common error that, that a lot of people make, especially coming into January, as they have all of their New Year's resolutions, is trying to eat too much, spiritually speaking. It's like you're committing to read like 10 chapters of the Bible a day, and you haven't picked it up in, in 12 months. Listen, here's better advice. Eat less more often. A little bit of scripture to a little bit of life. Listen, if you were to take just a verse or a few verses from God's word on a daily basis and allow those to actually uh, digest into your soul, digest into your heart, something you can hold on to and think about, 
that will bring far more fruitfulness in your life than like reading three or four chapters in the morning and not being able to tell anybody, including yourself, what you read that morning. A little bit of scripture to a little bit of life. What does this text have to say about my life and the world in which I live? In it for the long haul. In it, being, being in it for the long haul. Man, relationships take time. They really take time. Your relationship with Jesus takes time. Your, rela your relationship with other people take time. You, you have to commit to this. You have to commit to this, not for one week and see, you know, see if I like it. You, you got to commit for the long haul. You, you got to be in it for the long haul. Paul is using gardening language, farming language. He, he's saying, don't grow weary. He's pointing to the fact that this stuff doesn't happen overnight. If, if you woke up this morning and you're, you're relatively lonely, that, that is a terrible place to be. That is a hard place to be. The, the people of God, there, there is space here for you to have relationships. It's inconvenient sometimes. It's complicated sometimes. You know, we make the joke that when you become a Christian, you are, you are brought into a family. You're given a family identity. And that means that you have more brothers and sisters than maybe you want. But they're around. Like, they're, they're here. And, and sometimes, I mean, we as a church, I think we're relatively critical of ourselves in regard to on-ramps and opportunities for community. And we want to keep working on that. And that's the mail that we need to read as a church. But honestly, the mail that you need to read is that it, it's hard, and you've got to commit to it. You, you can't sit back and say, oh, I wish Sojourn had more community groups. Oh, I wish Sojourn had community groups on more nights. Okay, we'll keep working on that. But listen, it, it, it's a commitment on your part too. This is, this is a two-way street. Do not sit there and let Sojourn's failures be an excuse for you. It, it, it's a commitment that you need to make, and you need to be in it for the long haul. So I would say this, it involves sacrifice. Here's, here's a couple things that you can do to be in it for the long haul. Take your calendar and black out Sunday mornings and then black out whatever night your community group meets. Just go on your calendar and do it. What else are you gonna do on a Sunday morning? And I don't know what your options are, but they're not better than this. <laughs> Just black it out. What do you do on Sunday mornings? I, 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 go, I go worship with the people of God. Listen, you don't even know what kind of a testimony that could be to your neighbors or to your coworkers. If you just say, Sunday morning, I gather with the people of God. That's what I do. And then you have this other rhythm where you're with people who know your name and who see you eye to eye and who know your story and know what's going on. And you black out that night of the week too. And you say, I'm committed to this community. I'm committed to this group. You know, years ago, we, we were at a community group, and we were only meeting every other, every other week. And uh, someone in our community group asked, um, I said something about, there was a, we were meeting on Thursdays, and we had a Thursday that we weren't meeting as a community group. And I said, you want to get together on that Thursday night? And they're like, we're all in. I'm like, well, do you need to check your calendar? He's like, dude, it's Thursday. Thursday's blacked out. And as his community group leader, I was like, this is the biggest win in the history of the world. It's just like, in his mind, what else am I doing on Thursday nights? I am meeting with the people of God because I need my soul to be formed. And it doesn't happen on accident. It happens over the course of a long time, over a commitment to the things that God says are good seed to plant. And then the third thing is being a church not for ourselves. Man, this, this is a phrase that a lot of us love. And I actually, I hear, I hear you guys repeat it 
which I think is beautiful. We want to be a church, not for ourselves. Being inward focused is easy. Being outward focused is, is very, very hard to actually have a church that's thinking about the needs of others, not just the needs of me. And one of the dangers that we have as a church, every one of us has this, is to have the areas of ministry that I like and somehow assume like those are the most important ones. So I, when I was a younger pastor, I didn't have a teenager, obviously. All my kids were in early elementary. And someone in our church was upset about the youth ministry. And they wanted the youth ministry to have more funding, uh, like the 6th through 12th grade youth ministry. And one guy, kind of in a fit of anger, says, just wait until Matt's kids are in youth group. And his thought was that that's what I would do. I would just fund the ministries that blessed my family. I would fund the ministries that I cared about, that I thought, you know, ministered to my family. And I remember hearing that and just being heartbroken, thinking that there might be that actual, that that, that impression might be real. That people would really think that that, 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 that that would be how we would be making decisions. And I want to say that by God's grace, we, that is not how we're making decisions. And I don't want you making decisions that way either. I don't want you looking at the ministry that you care about and somehow thinking that that's the only thing that matters here or that's the thing that's most important. We actually want to say as a church family, what, what if a rising tide lifts all boats? And what if every ministry at various times might need an infusion here or an infusion there? But we, we want to have a place that's ministering well to every age, to every stage. And so we want a ministry that's good to local mercy, and we want a ministry that's good for international missions. We want good kids ministry, and we want good youth ministry. We want good uh, community groups, and we want great Sunday mornings. We, we want these things to be thriving. And that, that all fits into this category of being a church not for ourselves. Ma making sure that as we think about what we prioritize or what we, what we value, that we actually are not just thinking myopic, about our own situation or our own family, but broadening that out and asking, what would it look like for all of Sojourn to thrive? And man, when we start caring about other people's growth, um, I think we're gonna find that those are the right seeds to be putting in the ground. Uh, I just mentioned some of the changes that we're facing. You know, we wanna help people follow King Jesus. That's what we're about as a church. And we wanna do that better. And if we're in a culture that's constantly changing, that means we need to be considering change. And I, you know, I just want to say, are, are you ready for that? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to have some level of disruption in your life as we think about being a church uh, that is helping people follow Jesus? If we're a church not for ourselves, then we're going to be willing to ask those questions and enact those changes. Paul says, you will reap what you sow. Listen, that, that means there's an incredible opportunity here for us. There is such an incredible opportunity here for us that as we plant the right seeds, as we trust God with the decisions that we make day after day, week after week, that by God's grace, there might be, there might be a harvest uh, that, we would, that we would find uh, God bringing to, to our church family, a sense of renewal and revival. So let's not grow weary in doing good. And then last, let me uh, finish with this. Um, in verses 11 through 18, if you heard those read, you might be like, that feels like kind of a smattering of a bunch of different ideas. And in some way, it kind of is. It's Paul's final warning. Uh, if you were to take the phrases in verses 11 through 18 and just took a pen, you could like circle a phrase and trace it back to an earlier part of the letter where Paul touched on that idea. 
And so it's like, he's doing what good writers do. He's like almost summarizing what he just told them. And so there's a lot of tentacles that are actually culminating in these final verses. But what I want to focus on is verses 13 and 14, where he talks about boasting. You know, what, what is boasting? What, what goes through your mind when you think of, of boasting? You, know, you might think of an, of an arrogant athlete who is really glad to tell you that he's the best. Uh, I just listened to a podcast of a guy who is very, very smart, but in the podcast, he was extremely aggressive about telling you that he was really, really smart and that he's smarter than pretty much everybody that he's ever met. And all of these kind of grandiose statements, all of these things that I think in our current cultural moment, we would associate with boasting. But, you know, originally boasting was a battle cry. That's what that, that's what that word would have meant in the first century. It was a battle cry. It was what a military force would say to motivate themselves to run into battle. Now, probably most of you have seen the movie Braveheart. I know it's a little older. Um, but, you know, as, as, those, as those scenes unfold, you, you know, I don't know if, if this went through your mind, but you look at it and you're like, those guys are absolutely crazy. I mean, they are literally crazy. They stand on either side of this field and they pump themselves up like crazy. And then they run with their swords right at each other. And it's just like, who got to be first in line? Like, I want to be like third back or something. But, you know, they stand on those sides and they, that, that's what they do. They get there and they start getting pumped up and they start doing their battle cries. They start doing their boasting. They start saying things like, our emperor is the best. Our soldiers are the strongest. Our weapons are the biggest. They, they started saying all of these things to get themselves basically foaming at the mouth, to get themselves confident, to get themselves ready to actually jump into the battle. That's what a person is doing when they boast. You, you, we think of it as bragging, but what if it really is still more of a battle cry? Armies used to do it. Some of us do it when we talk about our favorite band or our favorite sports team. But what if we all do it for ourselves too? What if this is part of the way that we're navigating the world? Evidence that we actually really do need to stand on something. That we're all trying to figure out an identity that helps us get out of bed, that helps us jump into the fray of this world. You know, the Bible says that part of the human condition is that we are looking for an identity, that we're confused, that we're lost. You know, what one author said that when we boast, we are trying to create a self-esteem resume to desperately fill our sense of inadequacy and emptiness. When we boast, we're trying to pump ourselves up. I think I can speak for most of us. We, we want to matter. We want to be accepted. We want to believe that we're actually worth something. See, when we boast, we're expressing our deepest motivation, our greatest confidence, our hope. So what's yours? What, what, what is your boast? What motivates you to jump into the battle? Are you aware that when you wake up in the morning to face the day, that you are actually boasting in something? It might be your reputation, it might be money, it might be your career, it might be your kids, it might be winning, it might be your moral track record. 
That's why Paul addresses boasting here in Galatians chapter 6. He wants the Galatians to see what he sees, that the only thing worth boasting in is Christ. And that's what he says in verse 14. He says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, that's it. That, that's the only thing that is worth boasting in. Jesus in his gospel, that is Paul's battle cry. It's how he's motivated to go day after day. And if you know Paul's story, Paul went through some serious stuff. Paul went through all kinds of hardship on behalf of Christ, and he just keeps getting up and going back at it. We have these stories of Paul and others sit, sitting in jail cells, and they are singing, and they're writing letters about joy, and their prisons are nothing like our prisons. Their prisons were cesspools. They were full of disease and mud, and they were mistreated nonstop. And yet Paul is sitting in these prisons singing and telling others about the joy that they can have in Jesus. See, the Galatians, they had all of these whispers in their ears, telling them what they should boast in. And if you read through this letter, you would see that they're encouraged to boast in their biological connections, that they're encouraged to boast in their resume, that they're encouraged to boast in their religious performance. That's what this circumcision stuff is about. They're encouraged to boast about all these things. And Paul knows they're being wooed and they're being tempted to boast in these other things. And the reason Paul knows it is because Paul has the same whispers. In other letters, Paul says, I have all of these things that I could point to. I was the best student in my class. I was the most moral Pharisee. I had all the right pedigree. I was the top. And I could use that as my, my battle cry. But guess what I realized? It's all empty. It can't do what it's telling me it can do. I needed something more. Paul had all the same whispers, and guess what? So do I, and so do you. We have all of those whispers, and Paul is talking to us right here. Paul is telling us that the only legitimate boast is Christ. Not your biological connections, not your resume, not your church attendance, not your religious performance, not your abilities, not your potential, not your bank account, not your gifting, not your appearance, not, none of that stuff. Christ in Christ alone. Our culture says that you get your confidence, your confidence from what you do or from what you've done. But the scandalous message of the gospel, what Paul is telling us, is that Christians get their confidence from what someone else has done for them. That, that's where our confidence comes from. And you say, well, what has Jesus done? Well, Jesus has secured the praise of God. Jesus has won the praise of the Father for you. You know, in Romans chapter 2, at the end of Romans chapter 2, there's a verse that talks about that our praise is from God. And the word for praise there is the Greek word that can be translated applause. And there's this sense in which what Jesus has done for the people of God is he has won the applause of the Father. He has won the smile of God. He has won the approval of the only Father that actually matters. If you're in Jesus, God looks at you and he smiles upon you. You know, every one of us wants to be fully known and fully loved. We want to have someone in our life who knows every single detail about us and still loves us. But we are scared to death that if someone did know, if they knew every detail about us, they would never be able to love us. 
Well, the message of the gospel is that Jesus knows everything about you. He knows more about you than you know about you. And he loves you anyway. He simultaneously knows everything about you and loves you. Fully known and fully loved. See, the, the cross doesn't just say you have to dethrone all of these other boasts. The cross actually says you get to. You don't need them anymore. You don't need all those things to prop you up. What, what if you woke up in the morning and you believed that? What if you woke up on, on January 1st, 2024, and you got out of bed and you actually believed that God the Father was smiling upon you, that he was applauding, that he knows everything about you and loves you to the end of the earth and back? Would that not change your life? Paul says it will. So how do you get it? Well, as we finish 2023, all you need is need. All you need is need. All you need to do is give up. You have to give up saving yourself. You have to look at all of those other boasts and say, man, some of these are really good things. But they're not the ultimate thing. Some of these things are... You see how Paul affirms his boasting in Christ? In verse 14, he ends by saying, you know, far, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says it's his own crucifixion. He's saying that the crucifixion of Jesus involves two crucifixions. Jesus is crucified and then Paul is crucified. But Paul looks at his life and he says, this isn't the life I need. I'm giving this up. I need the life of Christ. The message of the gospel is the best news in the world. That you can be fully known and fully loved. But it starts with tough news. It starts with the news that based on you, you by yourself, you're actually not lovely. That sin has mangled you. That sin has separated you from God. And so as good as this gospel news is, it actually tells you bad news first. What one author says that the cross is only sweet if it has first truly offended you. If you don't see that you have a big problem, then you're never going to see a need for a big savior. The message of the gospel says that everything good about you, Jesus did. Is that good news to your heart? Or is that distasteful? That, that is a turnoff to a lot of people. A lot of people hear that and they say, no, no, I, no. I mean, I've, I've done my part here. I've put in a pretty good effort. I've shown up. I think I deserve some of this. See, Paul says, no, I, I'm, I'm crucified. That, that life can't offer anything. It can't earn anything. See, if you reject the reality of your situation, then you will not see the gospel as beautiful. You'll see it as restrictive. You'll see it as illogical. You want to know what makes you a Christian? This is a quote from Tim Keller. He says, don't look at your sin. Look at what you boast in. Don't look at your sin. That, that's comparing like, oh, I sin less than this person or I sin more than that person. Oh, maybe I'm not a Christian. I messed up over here. He says, don't, don't, don't look at your sin. Look at what you boast in. What, what's the battle cry? What's the confidence for you to wake up in the morning? What's your confidence to get into the fight? What do you really boast in? 
One way that we boast in Christ is by coming to this table. And we finish every service by doing this as we come and remember him and receive from him again. There, there's a sense in which as you walk down this aisle and you take this bread and you take this cup, there's, there's a sense of, of, of submission, of, of, of recognition of this one true king being the one true rescuer. If our service will please come, let's pray. God, thank you for this text from Paul. And we thank you for the invitation to consider the seeds uh, that we are sowing in our life with our material resources, but then also the immaterial seeds, the way we use our, our time and the way we uh, navigate this, this world, this, this moral world that you have designed. God, and we recognize that we are often tempted to put our trust in lesser things to somehow have our confidence for what's coming in 2024 be rooted in our savings account or the job that we have or the relationship that we're in or, or some other thing. God, would, would you help us to see that the only thing worth boasting in, the only thing that can stand the test is, is Jesus in his gospel. Give us eyes to see him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.